0: Everything you just said makes so much sense. It's as if you were in my brain. Yeah. And you, you nailing it. I mean, wow. Needed to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, she really did. <laughs> what the f- is going on? I like to part. Jesus, honey, wax much?
1: This is Unwaxed.
0: Get in, loser. we're going shopping. With
1: Sophia and Sistine Salon.
0: Should we just become best friends? Yep.
2: <laughs> Everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Unwaxed Podcast with your favorite sisters duo
0: Legends, icons, living, what you call an icon, living. Tom Hardy's favorite fans. Whoa. Sistine and Sophia.
2: Can I just say um, the amount of responses from my friends that people were saying
0: about how much we loved Venom and Tom Hardy for the last six minutes of the last episode? If you guys are a true listener, go back. Listen to our last episode, Is He the One? Um, And apparently, apparently... Really? People really liked it. And yeah. you know what I find really funny? When I hate an episode after we record it, it's often the one that people like the like most. Like the
2: most. And it was so interesting because I kind of understand, maybe I, my girlfriend was saying that it was because it had a mix of us giving advice, but then also us being quirky and funny and then We're the so transition to quirky. quirky. But I, I don't know, maybe are we just finally getting good at this podcast thing? I can't tell. Yeah. But we're also, you guys, still in Florida. As you can see, this is not a studio. This is not
0: LA. It's not the old studio in Palm Beach, but- We're back to the Zoom interview. And I know some of y'all don't love it, complain about the audio. If I see a one star because of this, I'm coming after you. But we promise you, we just finished our interview with our guest today. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And
0: when I tell you it is worth it to listen to this whole interview, Sophia and I learned so freaking much. Yeah. She is a life, co- a relationship expert. She's a life coach. She's, she teaches us so many things about. Well, it's. Chime it, in. I will. Sorry, <laughs> are you were on a roll there. No,
2: what Jessica brought is all about how we attach to partners and how it also was something that maybe we had in the past with our parents and what we, how, we, how we perceive our partner. Basically, if they're more.
0: <laughs> sorry. I'm so excited about Jessica basically how you were raised and your attachment style as an infant is how you date today. And we get into the whole thing. How to handle someone that is a more anxious partner,
2: how to actually be single and thrive, the benefits of online dating, literally every question that you
0: want asked that is a deep question is gonna be answered on this episode. I mean, it's awesome. So before we get into the interview with Jessica, Sophia, do you have a question for me? Are you stressed out? All the time.
2: Am I I always stressed out do you think? All the time. Well, you know you guys, did you know that at least 75 to 90% of all doctor visits are for stress related issues? That's
0: interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, probably because many of us are operating in survival mode, Mm -hmm. expecting our skin, bodies, and minds to thrive when really we're running on empty. I'm always looking for a solution, and now we finally found one. To change this reality,
2: we love this new purpose-led California-based CBD brand,
0: hemp, Prima. They are dedicated to helping you rise above any modern day stress. So every day is a little better with their doctor formulated, clinically validated, high performing products for the skin, body and mind. So if you're not sure
2: where to start, try Primas, the daily CBD capsules to help relieve stress. So if you're needing a night of restful sleep without waking up groggy in the morning, which is what happens when I have too much melatonin, sleep tight will give you the best sleep that you've been dreaming of.
0: You guys, this product is something Sophia and I are obsessed with. Mm-hmm. CBD is the way to go. Yeah. And I I know probably people are out there, oh, it doesn't work. Oh, it's too hoodoo-hoodoo. No. 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 It works. So... Let me get you guys in on this offer. Prima is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time 20% off offer with the code UNWAX. You guys, 20%. So
2: head to Prima.co with the code word UNWAX to receive limited time 20% off offer and get the relief you deserve so you can feel your very best every single day.
0: Okay. Without further ado, we're about to get into one of my favorite interviews that we've had on the show. Truly. So stay tuned for that. Okay, you guys, as you know, Sophie and I love giving relationship advice on this podcast, but today we are bringing an expert in. Today we have psychotherapist, author of Anxiously Attached, relationship coach, and founder of The Self-Full Method. Her method helps couples create balanced partnerships and break toxic patterns through effective communication, which is something we can definitely take definitely. A note out of that. This is Jessica Baum. <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I mean... Sophie and I really try to help our listeners with relationship advice, but to be quite frank, um, I think we give some of the worst advice I've ever heard. Yeah, I think we almost beat around the bush for what exactly the
2: answer is. I think that you can definitely provide our listeners with the right way to approach anything involving dating or communication.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited, and I think it can get be complicated, so I'm happy to sit here today and kind of explain some of these things um, so your listeners can get a better idea of what's going on inside their relationship, inside their body, why their thoughts are certain ways. It's important Definitely. to get this information
0: out there. Definitely. Right off the bat, I was thinking about it today because you counsel a lot of uh, couples, whether they're in a marriage or not in a marriage or everything in between. What's one question or one concern that you seem to be a repetitive pattern? Like what is one thing that is almost the most common problem in most relationships?
1: Most commonly people uh, have different attachment needs. And um, I often see one person in in the dynamic needing more connection, needing more time, maybe deal with conflict a little differently. And then the other person deals Wants, has different needs and deals with conflict a different way. So there's this, like, kind of a power struggle around how and what we really need and how do we actually really understand what's really going on, except, the, you know, the fight about constantly, like, date night or our needs not getting met can become very surface level when really there are really deep, deeper issues that are going on that can be worked through when you understand your own needs and your partner's needs a little bit more.
2: Right. And when I was going through your, I was stalking your Instagram page, and it was kind of exciting because I took a psychology class. And one thing I saw a lot in the class was about different attachment styles, as you just mentioned. And I really had fun learning about the different types. And I didn't even realize there was something like that where there was a name for it. And I think it would be really important to, I know there's four, right? There's like four main ones. Mm-hmm. Could you explain what they are and what they represent and what they mean?
1: Sure, and I think it's awesome that the like the regular world is starting to get really interested in this. I think it's more important than knowing your horoscope when it comes to dating.
0: Yes. And so, you so know, we have it backwards.
2: Yeah. So I'm like looking at my guy going, "Oh, you're this." Like, mm, I don't know if we can. Work yeah, and you know, attachment styles are really patterns, and so
1: they're the ways in which we adapted when we were really young to stay in connection or to survive. And a good chunk of the population has secure attachment, which just means they have a really good sense of self-esteem. They're comfortable being really close and they're also comfortable with space in a relationship. And so they kind of transition really well. However, even secure people can get anxious or avoidant if the partnering is, so it's a two-way street. And then we have Mm. um, anxious attachment, which is the one that I focus on. And those people need more reassurance. They need more connection because when they were little, they had a little inconsistency. So they might get love and then feel like they're not going to get it again. So they always feel like they're a little bit empty or they need a little bit more contact. They have struggle with people who shut down or distance. It creates a lot of anxiety and fear in them because of how they kind of adapted as a child. Then we have avoidant attachment. And it's interesting because anxious and avoidant tend to really attract each other. And I um, can go into oh, detail if you want. but. That attachment style tends to um, learn that I can't trust my needs are going to get met emotionally, or maybe the parent wasn't as emotional, didn't have an emotional IQ, or they smothered the child too much. So they learn to shut down, and they they're a little bit more the lone wolf. They're um, more independent. They actually excel really well in life in like more of accomplishments, but they really struggle with um, emotions and they struggle depending on other people. So anxious people can be a little over dependent. And I use Mm -hmm. that cautiously because when they depend on the right people, they actually thrive and avoidant. People tend to not trust enough people to really be vulnerable and learn healthy dependency because of their childhood. And then there's disorganized, which is actually embedded patterns of both. Because we take on more mm. than just our primary caregiver. We can take on both our parents, but that's when someone can get scared when they get too close to someone. And they're scared when they're far away. And so they can get really dysregulated in terms of knowing where to be in relationship to the other person. So if a guy or a girl is kind of coming after you a lot, it can feel ah. Uh, and then if, if they pull away, it's, it's jarring. Anything, it's very jarring because mm. they don't feel safe anywhere in the relationship when, when I think I just scared. figured
0: out, I think that's my attachment
1: style. Well, I, I, I do. Be really careful with it because it's just embedded patterns and you might show up that way when someone's really avoidant. Or, you know, with someone who's not secure, those patterns will come, become heightened when you feel scared. So with someone who's, still, who's secure, you might have those patterns, but they're not as
0: heightened inside your body. I mean, I have so many questions from what you just said. First of all, I think it's so fascinating that the type of attachment style you have today correlates to how you were brought up as a baby, and it's interesting because when you are a baby, you can't take care of yourself. You are so vulnerable. vulnerable all of the time. So it's really those few years. I mean, what age do you think really sets you up for what your attachment style might be? Yeah,
1: and it's such a good question because I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, but my childhood and that, that, how does that come and mm-hmm. play in my romantic life? And there's mm-hmm. scientific proof to show this. But from womb to about 18 months, our primary caregiver is standing in as someone to self-soothe us. And we learn how to co-regulate, which means we learn how to be in sync with our person. And so we learn these adaptive Mm -hmm. strategies, whether it's to cry louder, which later becomes an anxious person who's like reaching out a lot, Mm
0: -hmm. or to shut down
1: because we can't trust our primary caregiver. We learn these embedded patterns in our nervous system. They kind of get, they're like the foundational blueprint and then when we become right. adults, the story changes, the narrative changes, but the sensations stay the same. So it's mm. the, it really is, co-regulation is really about learning to trust your primary caregiver, being a unit, because you're still one energetic unit. And the trust that you have there actually gives you the foundation to have trust when you're an adult. But if there's a distrust for whatever reason, and let's say your parents, not to blame parents, but let's say your mom was going through a lot of stress a lot of anxiety and she couldn't attune and be in this flow state with you enough, you're gonna develop a little bit more of an anxious base because she was struggling at the time. Mm -hmm. Or if your dad was absent, you take that in and it's no one's fault because our parents are doing the best they can, most of them, Mm -hmm. but we embed those experience into our nervous system. And then when our partner, we reattach to an adult, our early attachment strategies and our system gets activated the same way as when we were a baby. So it can get really confusing, but it all really does go back to like the early fundamental developmental years that lays down the foundation for your nervous system and your response when you're scared.
2: Wow. I I feel like it's, uh, it's so interesting because I think one thing that a lot of people probably struggle with is even identifying the fact that they have this and didn't probably realize until they got into a relationship okay. that they were struggling with maybe some uh absentee parents, or just the feel like they weren't getting enough attention, or they felt like they were getting too smothered. And um it's even for me, I feel like sometimes like I can see myself as more avoidant with some things, like oh my god, I shut down, or I need to push away because yeah. I'm like, I'm good on my own, I don't need help, I don't need anybody. But then you go back and you're like, wait, there were so many things in like past relationships that I didn't see was a pattern. Is there a way that like I could have seen or I could call myself out and go, oh wait, maybe I need to take a step back and fix these things? Like how, what are some signs and small things that are not even involving a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend that maybe you do with your friends or you do with yourself that people can say, oh wait, this is something I need to look into.
1: I mean, that's a great question. And I think that we have protectors. So we can be anxious, but if we are anxious and we don't get what we need, eventually our protector will be like, I can't go there or this is not working for me, or I'm good on my own. I mean, that, I'm, a, I'm an anxious person, but if you push me hard enough, I'm like, I need to go to an island, I need to run away because the pain mm-hmm. is so big and I can't get back into connection because connection is bio, our biological imperative. If you can't yeah. get back into connection and it gets too scary, the other reaction is to run away from it mm-hmm. because it's too scary. But then you're not happy on the other side if you run away from it too much either. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, you how taking out of the context of romantic relationships, although that's where it shows up the most, we've all had that girlfriend or even guy friend who's so clingy and so anxious and they're coming at us and we're, we don't know what to do. We're feeling almost consumed. Mm-hmm. That's because it's kicking up our own kind of attachment stuff. Or we have yeah, that yeah. other, I mean, for me, if I have a friend who's like, I'm going to you know, go to dinner with you on Thursday night and then they flake on me, I'm like really sad because I feel Mm -hmm. disappointed and I really was looking forward to that connection. And if that person does it enough, they're just not a safe person for my attachment style. I love them and I don't personalize it at all anymore. But knowing, like knowing your own needs, like I know I need consistency. And if you are someone with anxious, you need to have consistency. You need to have trust in, in order to build intimacy. So knowing your attachment style and knowing that your partner is like if your partner is avoidant and I go through a lot of this in my book, you can still work with it. But you really need to understand the nervous system on the other end of if if you like you said, you shut down knowing that I'm shutting down because I'm scared or I'm shutting down because I'm actually hurting right now and starting to kind of get underneath what that behavior is protecting you from like pulling away is a protection moving closer is a protection so you're either protecting yourself from an abandonment wound, or you're texting yourself also from an abandonment wound. but like a consumed i don't know if i can meet the need or i'm gonna let this person down so either way right it there are protective states so kind of looking at it that way is that too complicated
0: no No, it makes sense i honestly want to pick up one thing um concerning it just made, reminded me of codependency in a relationship that I want to jump to in one second but for someone like me and we'll wrap up the attachment style conversation who doesn't even know what my attachment style is how could I figure that out and how could I uh, tell my partner to figure it out as well like is there a quiz is there a- I actually yeah there is a quiz there's okay. a quiz but I
2: also feel like there needs to be how do people talk to their partner if they have one of these attachment problems? Like, if you're in a relationship and your boyfriend is more avoidant, how do you approach that situation? And you're secure and you're fine, but how do you avoid it if, or approach it if he's more anxious? Mm-hmm. So how would you have that conversation with someone if there if there is one that needs to be had?
1: Yeah, I mean, two. so two questions. One, I think you can take the attachment style quiz. I do have one. I can kind of send it to you guys, but knowing your embedded kind of tendency and then know that it's a two-way street. So if you're secure or you're anxious, if you're if you're anxious and you, and you attach to an avoidant, it can work, but the dynamic is gonna be a little bit more challenging. So knowing where your baseline is, there are um, tests that are scientifically proven where you can know where mm-hmm. your baseline is. And once you understand yourself better, I think the conversation you have with your partner is, if you're secure and your partner's avoidant, you're not gonna be reactive when they shut down. You might be able to come up with communication around, hey, when you're shutting down, if you can, can you send me a text? Or when are you gonna be back? Or let me know that you love me, but this is how you're processing your pain right now. And if you're anxious, that might help settle the anxious person. Some people Mm -hmm. aren't as resourced. They literally just shut down and it can be very, I don't wanna use triggering as a word, but it can be very activating because it's really activating mm-hmm. the other person's system because we mm-hmm. wanna be in a connection. If someone just goes to you that you care about, it hurts. I mean, it's okay. our natural, we're naturally gonna hurt when someone we care about we can't get in contact with. The degree of sensation and hurt will vary depending on your attachment style. It will yeah. still hurt a secure person, but an anxious person might get even more anxious.
2: Yeah. And then last because uh, I know that we want to move into codependency, but is there oh uh, is there a point in a relationship where you need to maybe take a step back from the relationship and if this person is like too much on you where you need to say okay maybe you need to work on yourself or is it important to keep going on in the relationship if it's not that healthy? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It's like because I know it, sometimes it can get a little bit overwhelming. I feel like sometimes when you're taking on someone's worries and anxiousness and you try and you try to communicate, you try to fix everything. Is there a point where they just need to focus on themselves or is there a point where you just have to keep pushing it out? I love that. It's pretty much an avoidant person's question Uh, where when I
1: feel overwhelmed (laughs) too much and I date, cause so what I'm hearing you say is that maybe you date people who then make you um, the center of their kind of world You know, and so they they like let their (laughs) their their sense of self kind of becomes the relationship. Like so an anxious person, if if you're avoidant or you're secure, they want to stay in this like kind of a meshed place with you and they want to focus on you. And if they have a fear of abandonment, they're going to be hyper vigilant and focus on you. And for an an avoidant, someone with avoidant tendencies, it can feel really overwhelming. It's like, I'm, I'm attracted to you when you can be your, you know, yourself and if you're pushing in your energy. So yes, you can have these conversations, but the intention around the conversation is this person is scared and they need more reassurance. So while I want them to be more themselves, I need to give them the reassurance when I have this conversation that, hey, I'm feeling like a little overwhelmed myself, which is my stuff. And I I love you or I like you a lot and I care about you. I, you know, and so I'm going to take a step back. But I want to let you know that it's I I care about you, and this is just me feeling overwhelmed. And most anxious people will get more anxious, but a healthier anxious person might be able Mm -hmm. to take a step back, and it might do them a favor. And then you can breathe again. So, and then you might want to step closer. And this is where the dance comes in. Oh, I'll get closer again, and then they get attached, and then it becomes too overwhelming, and then you step back. And this is where we have more of the cycles. So, yeah, you you can start to really have these conversations. But knowing the attachment style is that when you step back, you have to make it safe for them. And when they move Mm -hmm. forward, they have to make it safe Mm -hmm. for you. So if they're moving forward out of fear and they're grabbing onto you, they might need to work with a therapist or a coach to kind of work with their anxiety. If you're stepping back out of fear, you might need to work with someone or someone needs to help with the overall dynamic because it will cycle. And cycle and cycle. Right. We do these unconscious dances with each other all the time. And mm-hmm. it's a dance around intimacy. So the closer we get, mm. the more overwhelmed I get, I got to pull back. The closer we get, the other person feels like I could lose this. I got to move forward. So we're really talking about energy here. So the conversation mm-hmm. really needs to be around, I feel safe here. And the other person's need is, I want to be closer to feel safe. Right. And that's what we're bumping up against in in a more anxious avoidant dance, which is... Really what I'm fascinated about and I wrote a lot about it, is, is trying to understand that from a compassionate lens because both people are really struggling. The avoidant yes. person isn't trying to hurt you by pushing right. you away. Yes. They're trying to calm down their system. And so it can yep. feel hurtful And the anxious person isn't trying to love bomb you or like smother you or need you so much, but their system is only calm when they're close. They need a lot of closeness. So sometimes it's it's a complicated pairing. It can work with a lot of conscious awareness and sometimes takes a third party to step in and really help each person Mm -hmm. see that they're not hurting each other on purpose. This is literally how they regulate their system and they're not... They're not co-regulating together enough or some fear is coming up, which is causing one person to back up or one person to run closer. So once you start to really understand the underpinnings, compassion starts to come in. And then it's not about the behavior. It's like, oh, this is what they need to do to feel safe. This is what she needs to do to feel safe. Wow.
0: Everything you just said makes so much sense. It's as if you were in my brain. (laughs) Yeah. And you, you... Nailing it. I mean, wow. Needed to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, she really did. <laughs> let's let's move into codependency. I've had a lot of girlfriends, a lot of guy friends, um, almost complain to me that oh, my partner is so codependent and it drives me insane. And sometimes I think that there is a really negative connotation tied to being codependent. Is it necessarily a bad thing? No. And I thank you so much for answering this question. Codependency asking this question
1: is a really poorly termed word because we are co-regulators and we need each other, but someone with a more anxious attachment or insecure base needs more. And what I mean by that is they need more reassurance. They need more contact. They need to depend on dependable people. And the only way to heal is actually relearning how to co-regulate and lean on enough people because that's what builds inner security. It's when I trust you enough that I don't need to contact you all the time. It's when I trust you enough that I start to feel safe, right, and so if I trust, don't feel safe- trust is
0: at the root. What? It, trust is at the root of it. Yeah.
1: And it comes back to parenting again in, in a felt sense in your body. But we all have needs, right? And so I hate when someone says, I'm still, I'm too needy. It means that they didn't get their needs met well when they were younger. And they have to learn to get their need, needs met now with the right supportive people. And it's not always your romantic relationship, sometimes it can be. But understanding that like you have to reparent that part of you because they don't have the ability to self-soothe as much. So they're always going to run to the relationship to try to regulate their system. So it's about building compassion and understanding that this person struggles with self-regulation and reaches out probably more than maybe people's comfort level. But if they can Mm -hmm. reach out to the right people who can be present for them they actually build inner security with neuroplasticity so it's you know codependency has so much shame around and i think i am i i can identify as a codependent that's actually how i started my journey and i read every single book on codependent and you think oh the solution is to become independent no that's not the solution the solution is to become interdependent and that's what you didn't get as a baby so the more i can trust what is that So interdependency is, and that's where the pendulum is like codependent, independent. It's like, no, the interdependent is, I trusted you enough as a baby, but also as an adult to come together and to leave. And you get to be all of you and I get to be all of me and we can do this merger and this leaving. Someone who has a little more codependent, it's really the anxious attachment. They wanna stay here. (laughs) And this is where they're comfortable. And, um, you know, it's about being here with safe people that gets them to be stronger and more interdependent. But it's the more trust that they have in their support system, the more interdependent they become. And they're like, Mm. I'm not alone, you know, and I'm not going to have to grab on so fast. And understanding what needs weren't met as a baby or as a young child is what needs to be reparented and healed as an adult, or else we'll try, we'll replay those kind of Trauma reenactments or trauma bonds a little bit in our adult relationships unconsciously. I mean, we're all doing this right. unconsciously, or you right. know, it's on the subconscious level,
2: right? And I, I, you know, it's, it's so interesting when you're talking about uh, codependence and interdependence, and I feel like there has to be always a communication to keep that probably interdependence constant because sometimes when you're in the new relationship it becomes so overwhelming and you're only with each other and then you avoid all your friends or if you're in a long-term relationship it's very consistent and it's Mm -hmm. comfortable and you stay with just that one person and sometimes when you become codependent it's not a bad thing but you tend to make your world a little bit smaller because you just have your one person um and to be interdependent do you think that there needs to be a chat that has to be brought up probably yearly or whatever it is just to remind each other like we need to have our independence but also our codependence on each other to make this relationship the healthiest it can be is it uh, like how do you bring up that conversation well, without it sounding
1: like, that, like there need, there's a problem that's a really great question and i it's two it's two part one every relationship goes through traditional phases so the honeymoon phase the power struggle and then you have a more conscious phase And in the honeymoon phase, we'll call that the beginning of a relationship, a lot of this is happening. And so we're getting closer and closer and closer and this feels so good. And there's a lot of um, talk about the neurochemicals that are actually being released in the brain and it's normal to lose yourself a little. The
0: Mm -hmm. problem is when we
1: get closer and closer to someone, we are becoming more intimate, we touch a wound and eventually someone pulls away. And that's when we have Mm -hmm. our first rupture. So we get closer, And then as the safety is built, then we start to do this. But if safety is not built and someone just yanks away because something got touched, then that can be scary. But I think what you're asking, and it's a very tough thing But keeping balance in the beginning of a relationship to some degree, getting lost a little is nice, but keeping your support system around, keeping your hobbies at play, Mm -hmm. keeping your world as intact as possible so that you don't completely lose your sense of self. Although I think part of that Mm -hmm. loss is normal because then I think you fall back into yourself. So there's a little bit of a fluid thing. So I mean, you're supposed to spend a lot of time in the beginning, you're building the attachment. But the attachment Mm -hmm. dynamics don't always play out in the beginning. They only play out Mm -hmm. when the wounds are being activated, when the system starts to kind of alert that that something's scary. So the beginning of a relationship can look really good and it can last, the honeymoon phase can Mm -hmm. last from two years, um, two days to two years. I mean, and longer or shorter, that's what the research shows. Mm -hmm. So you don't really know the full dynamic in the beginning. And Mm -hmm. I think losing yourself a little is healthy. But if you have a secure sense of self or a sense of self, you'll pull, You'll want to go back into yourself. And it, it should be a gradual mm-hmm. integration and a kind of a coming and a going. But this in the beginning is kind of normal. I mean, you're really excited and there's a lot of chemicals. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then you kind of find your way of moving together. And I don't think, I think relationships are fluid. I don't, you yeah, know, mm-hmm. it'd be nice if we could... You know, there are periods of time where someone's a little bit more independent. And if you're anxious, you have to deal with the the abandonment that comes up Mm -hmm. or someone needing, a you know, someone maybe needing a lot more like uh, soothing or reassurance because they're really scared. And if that doesn't kick up your anxiety, being able to offer that to that person, you know, but it's not about staying in those modes, because when you can offer that they calm down and then you usually don't stay. But if it kicks up your own anxiety, you're just gonna pull away even more.
0: Right, so why do you think people lose themselves when they get into a relationship? I mean, the first thing I can think of because I had a really bad habit of shape-shifting into the type of woman that I thought this man wanted me to be. And it became this sort of vicious cycle and I kept thinking maybe, you know, he won't accept me for who I am. So why do you think when you're in sort of maybe a codependent relationship that you just sort of lose who you are in the core?
1: Well, I think that's so, again, I'm not just saying you guys are asking like the best questions ever. And it just tells me that you're very connected to this topic. But I think a lot of people want to get love and they want to be loved. And as an adaptation or a way, we try to be what the other person wants. And so, yeah. you know, it happens as a way to secure love or to secure the connection. So we, we're really good at figuring out what the other person might want. And that's mm-hmm. an adaptation that you can look at even probably started out younger. Like when I want something, I know how to read the room. I know how to figure out what that person wants. I'm gonna change to give them exactly what they want. The problem with that is we spend so much time trying to get that person to want us right mm-hmm. that we're not even sure if we want them. So all this energy is spent on trying to get them to want us. Where and I tell yeah. I tell people and women and all uh, people this all the time. Like you have to go in saying like you're interviewing this person too. But people are so scared of rejection and want to be wanted. Yeah. It's like then the person picks you and you're like wait a minute. I don't even know if I like this person. I spent so much right. time trying to figure out what they want. So it's really, it's better if you can work through some of that rejection and really think you're going to put your best self forward, no matter who you are. And rose colored glasses are normal in the beginning of a relationship. And we can talk about that. But if you can be more authentic in yourself and realize eliminating people who don't really like your, don't jive well with who you are, is actually going to get you Mm -hmm. to your person faster rather than shape-shifting and trying to get them to pick you. That's a game. So you can kind of, kind of catch yourself right. with those things. Is that helpful?
0: Yeah, it really reminds me of another theory that I know you know quite well, the chemistry versus attachment style. Because again, I would show so much attention and anyone that would give me just the slightest amount of effort. And now looking back, I question it thinking, did I really like them or did I want to be in a relationship or did I just like the temporary attention? So uh, why do myself and other people are attracted to the sort of, I don't want to say toxic, but a little bit of this toxic mindset of going for someone that they know isn't necessarily right for them, but still doing it because they just want maybe a relationship.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing that. very vulnerable of you, but I think what you're sharing is I go for unavailable people and sometimes I place my sense of self-worth on if I can get this person to like me and there's a sense of unavailability that has a charge for you and many, Mm -hmm. you know? And so if you're going for someone who's unavailable, it can be a chase and it can be a reward if you get that person to take the bait and it could be healing a deeper wound. It's not really healing your wound but you think it is around Mm. you sensing that there was someone unavailable in your life before. And there's an attraction to the lone wolf or the unavailable type that runs much deeper than like why you're attracting that because they're likely to leave you anyway. So you're almost recreating the wound, so to speak, but there's no blame here. It's just about looking and saying, okay, I, I am attracted to people who aren't really available. And so maybe that's my way of recreating this sense of self-worth through an earlier experience or maybe when a really available person comes up, and sees me, I'm like, whoa. Yeah, I think like so, it's great that ju- you guys are in such different places in your relationship and you can each of you mm-hmm. independently. And I think, you know, it's good that we're here today talking about the early phases, the, the end phases, the power struggle. Exactly. You know, how do we get conscious about these things? How do we know if we have a good match ahead of us, right?
0: And yeah, that's the thing, is
2: like it's kind of interesting because we're in two different places in our relationship. And still the question is always at the end of the day, is this person for me? Like yeah. I'm wearing the rose colored glasses and I'm in this very new relationship and everything seems completely perfect. And this honeymoon phase, I make jokes saying, when is it going to be over? Because I'm like, when's the, pit, when's the nail going to drop or something going to happen? And then for her, it's a totally different situation. And it's still the same question at the end of the day. Um, and when it comes to both, what is the... Like say, how do you know you're fighting
0: for the right person?
2: Yeah, like how do you know that with the rose colored glasses and the newness that it's the right person, or that the because end it, of the
0: relationship that it's still the right? Person I mean, for it's you? it's so true that in the beginning, like you said. Um, I mean, I've never been in a two year long uh, honeymoon phase, which sounds that sounds amazing. I'm like sounds I hope amazing, so. but you know when that phase does fizzle out. I don't know if we're attracted to the excitement of a new relationship or like, wait, 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 what happened to it? It was so much fun in the beginning. Or if it's just a cycle that's natural and we have to get used to. So yeah, again, the question really is, how do you know that this person is genuinely a good match for me or not?
1: Mm. Yeah, and I felt like something when you were sharing um, that that was like a deep question for you. I think that, so every relationship, a psychotherapist call it ruptures, but every relationship has conflict. And how you handle conflict is an indicator on the intimacy and growth factor of the relationship. So in the beginning, you can talk about how you handle pain, what do you do around conflict, what are your needs, what's your attachment style if you feel comfortable having those, and, you know, starting to understand how this person adapted. And, Until you have conflict, because really healthy conflict is about coming back to the table and building empathy. So when you have conflict and you're in a healthy relationship, you come back and you start to see each other's lenses rather than debate all day as to who's right. Because you're both right. You're both in pain. So when you can build empathy for each side, that is the resolution because that brings Mm -hmm. you closer. So Mm -hmm. conflict is normal. How you handle conflict is normal. Empathy is a big component on both sides. Mm -hmm. And learning to compromise in what your needs or what their needs are or what's really going on and how do we compromise actually grows the relationship closer. But you need Mm -hmm. humility. You need Mm -hmm. empathy. And you you need a couple key ingredients because or else you're just going to stay in defenses and you're going to be arguing about like stuff up here when it's really, you need vulnerability. Like both people need a degree of vulnerability too. But when you have those things and the right tools, the conflict brings you closer. So it's not that the relationship doesn't go through murky waters, but as the murky waters get dealt with in a healthy way, you come out the other end stronger, so if one person is lacking empathy or you can't really, you're having these, and I imagine a lot of people have a lot of conversations around really surface level things when we're really, they're being hurt deep down and the couple isn't able to get conscious about what's really going on. So it's like these cycles that we get stuck in. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, knowing how you fight, I don't know, knowing how you resolve conflict, knowing how right. you mm-hmm. handle pain, knowing how your partner handles pain, having a talk before and say, hey, listen, We're in this beautiful phase, but that's not going to last forever. Let's make sure we can resolve things together, too, and Mm -hmm. come out stronger. And then sometimes you don't know fully until you're in a rupture or conflict or something happens and you learn, okay, we can come back together and we have these meaningful talks. We might not be changing each other's behavior, but we're starting to understand each other's behavior from a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And that actually is what gets you to a more conscious relationship.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, it's very well said and I think it also takes a very mature, emotionally aware. intelligent person, and aware person to do that because I think a lot of people um, don't even want to come to terms with how they feel or don't admit that they're an anxious type or a nervous type or whatever it is. So. I mean, yeah, I, yeah open dialogue time. is truly the only way to do it. I would love to talk about sort of the opposite um, and feeling really lonely, whether you're in a relationship or not. And there's this weird negativity surrounding being lonely, you know, you feel being, s- alone. being alone, like you feel scared. You think it's embarrassing. You're anxious. Uh, and like, actually, you had posted something that I found that was really profound that you could be out of a relationship and feel lonely. And you could be in a super long marriage and still feel extremely lonely. So how can someone shift their mindset from thinking it's not such a bad thing to be lonely? Mm. So it's definitely not a bad thing to be single. And I think
1: you're right. Like there's a lot of stigma. I think it's moving in the right direction, but I understand um, where you're going with that. I think that Like I said, so being single can be the most thriving place and healing place Mm -hmm. if you have good connections. And we're meant to be in relationship at the end of the day, but we need to spend some time with ourselves, getting to know ourselves so we have a secure sense of self. And part of that is being in community and having intimate friendships and feeling really safe in the world and not needing some relationship to give us a sense of identity or meaning, that's a really fundamental start to kind of building who you are so you can bring that to the relationship. And it makes me sad because you guys are a lot younger than me that it's still kind of seen as like, oh, you're single. Because I actually think, I've seen some of the most fulfilling people in between relationships for a while, have amazing friendships and do amazing things And then someone new floats into their life when they're ready. And we don't always have a crystal Mm -hmm. ball and we can't always predict that. So trusting that the quality of your relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic, is important. And I'll caveat that with if you're in a relationship and you had any abandonment or neglect in your childhood and your partner shuts down, he stonewalls you, she stonewalls you. Um, Mm -hmm. is emotionally unavailable, they're going to kick up any loneliness that was already there. And you're going to have to be, and that's a big piece of what I talk about too in the book, you're going to have to be with this part of yourself because even the perfect relationship, someone forgets to call back, someone shuts down, like these are things that we all have to go through. So knowing what is kind of getting kicked up in you and kind of knowing that either way you're going to have to do the work. And I I just Mm -hmm. think that we're always in flow you know, and we're in flow mm-hmm. with a group of people like our soul pack, you know, and so knowing that right. sometimes when you're not in a romantic relationship, you're still in a flow state and, and pulling in right. more awesome connections is actually a way to get fulfillment before you call in your new person, so to speak. And then when right. you put, pull that person in, it's not about that person. It's about integrating them into Mm -hmm. what you've already built. Like you don't leave your world because there's a new person. You say, okay, now I'm going to spend some time with you, but then I'm going to bring you into my beautiful world and and I'm going to go into yours and we're going to form this new co-created world where, you know, I still keep my friends and my hobbies and this and that. And, And so we're joining energies, but we're not dropping our world completely. So actually being single is a really, really beautiful and healthy place to work on all these things. And yeah. healing your attachment can happen when you're single with really supportive friendships. And it's sometimes a safer place to start if you're not already in a relationship.
0: Uh, completely. I completely agree. I think more people need to be proud of being single because that those moments that you have with just yourself are really, the, you gotta take that time to figure out who you are, what you want, what you're looking for. And then when you have come to terms with that, then the right person will, like you said, puzzle piece into your life in a really cohesive way. And I think it's
2: important that you also like mentioned like you should still go out with your friends. You should still go date. You should figure out who you are. Because it's I think a lot of people they'll shut down and they'll go, you know, like I shouldn't date anybody, or I shouldn't be doing this, or I shouldn't they make like these definitive statements when you're a human being, you're a well-rounded person. You should go out and keep that communication with whoever you're dating and your yeah. friendships and with yourself and keep those hobbies. And then that person will come along. And I feel like sometimes when someone's been in a long-term relationship, they'll probably go completely opposite. And like they won't date for a while. Do you think that it's important if even if you're in an anxious attachment style to keep dating to practice? Because if you're newly into the single dating game, what do you suggest people do to approach it the easiest way without Yeah, because you sometimes forget your little tips and tricks. Yeah, because sometimes you you lose it so far behind. You're like, how am I ever going to find the person because I haven't put myself out there? Or I feel like every guy I go out with, it's horrible. So Mm -hmm. how do you reshift that mindset and go the best and whole way you can? Well, a lot of what you're saying is correct.
1: So if you're grieving a relationship, and you're feeling a lot of abandonment, it's actually not the best time to go out and and date. You could end up (laughs) re-hurting yourself. You're better off okay. dating your friends. And, and what I mean by that is being around really safe people. Um, and because right. if you go out and you're still in a very abandoned or wounded place and the date doesn't go well, it can send you spiraling. So knowing mm-hmm. that, like, where am I? Do I need to build up my, my support network and feel really secure in myself before I put myself back out there? But the piece that mm-hmm. you said that was right, mm-hmm. so you don't want to stop your life. Even if you're in pain, you might want to tend to that pain and bring that pain to someone, but then try to start to do the things that made you happy before. And eventually, and this goes back to a lot of neurochemicals in the brain, you start to be happier in your life, then you can start dating. Now, if you're someone who's not going through a grief process and, or, and you know, I'm not, I'm spiritual, so like if someone lands in your plate and you're not, you're not dating from a sense of needing. You're dating from a sense of openness, right? right if you're mm-hmm. needing, go need on someone who can meet those needs, not a new right. person. That's a person who's like jumping from one thing to the next. Go need on a therapist. Right. Go need on your family. Go, Go mm-hmm. and try to transfer that. But if you're open, if you're just like open and you know a date comes by or you know if you're open and it just kind of flows fine and if you're also mm-hmm. done a work and you feel really good and you want to put yourself out there and start dating again, that's okay too. It's kind of like where is it coming from? Is it coming from this abandonment wound and then you could just really hurt yourself and I need to build that support system back up and myself back up? Or is it coming from a place of I can be open, sit down with another soul, meet them, leave. If it doesn't work out, I'm not in shambles. So you kind of just want to check in with yourself and see where you're
0: at. Does that answer? It's it's all about having the right intention going into it and not trying to fill a void that, you know, you still wanna fill that void, but you wanna fill it with people who actually can help you fill it
1: and then you can yeah. sustain that. Yes. Yeah, the
2: healthiest void to fill. Like you want it doesn't have to be a guy or a girl that you're yeah. dating. It can be your friends, it can be the hobbies that you do, it can be the family that you have, whatever it is that is the most comforting mm-hmm. and warm
0: sense of like secure and place that you so, can. Yeah. Hypothetically, just to wrap up this Amazing. Yeah, I love us. Amazing. So much. I would talk to you for hours more if I really could. But say if we are ready to date, we have the right intention. I don't know if we're millennials or Gen Z, but some people would argue that the best way to meet someone today is through online dating. And I saw that you had posted someone how to how you suggest online dating to find the most success. Now, how would you go about it? Because we've dabbled, and I can't say it was a success for me. So what do you recommend?
1: Um, That's a good question. I mean, again, I think a lot of people who want to date would go to a bar, and it's like then they're scanning the room for who's available. I just think online dating and I say this gently, puts a lot of available people in front of you. Everybody's being vulnerable. I'm on here. I'm looking for a partner or I'm looking for this right. or I'm looking for that. So you're mm-hmm. you're kind of eliminating the looking process, but you got to be careful because a lot of people online are now just addicted to the online process of like going on dating, blah, blah, blah. It, it becomes like a cycle that can be really toxic too. So mm-hmm, while it right. eliminates the... I want a date. Where do I go? And here you go. Here's all Mm -hmm. these people. You still have to know how to sort through that and find a good match, which I do talk a lot about in one of the courses, which I'm actually giving that course away for free for pre-orders if anybody's
0: interested so
1: that that it's dating for anxious people. But really, how do you know how to sort? You got to represent yourself in an authentic way. Mm -hmm. How do you know if someone's a good match? And it's Yeah, there's a lot of variables out there, but I I think having options is good if you have the right ability to sort through what's right for you.
2: Mm -hmm. I love that you've made it sound like that because I have had always a hard time to put a positive spin on online dating. And it really is just people are, everyone on a dating app is looking for love in their own way. Maybe it's not serious. Maybe it is serious, but
0: you know, it's like we're looking for love, but Yes, deciding who is that? Maybe for the night, Listen, but Jessica, we realized that real quick. No, yeah, we know that. Yeah. But
2: um, you have just been such an amazing guest. Like I feel like this is so
0: serendipitous. Like for that, this all worked out uh, at like, this time too. Yeah, it, on, that's what I was trying to tell you. Before. A lot of our listeners ask these questions so a lot of it is generated from people that genuinely have no idea what to do and I think you just shed a lot of light to all of us so thank you so much for coming everyone's
2: going to benefit from your book Anxiously Attached I mean like if you guys loved this like you're going to definitely love her and what she's written and I'm going to for sure pick one up
0: because like tell everyone where they can find your courses your book your social media yeah Yeah,
2: so
1: I we're going to send you guys a link I think but my book is Anxiously Attached you can get it right on Amazon but on Be Self That's my, um, my website. If you put your information or the coupon code into the website, um, there's a bunch of like meditations and the free course isn't, is offered and all these things are offered to help you start now because this is a few weeks Mm -hmm. out. Um, yeah, so you can Google me, Jessica Baum and anxiously attached on Amazon or beselfful.com is my website. So you guys have been awesome too. It's, It was just a pleasure to talk to you. And it's it's so sincere that you guys want to know about this stuff. And it's exciting for me to talk to people who are like, oh, I want this information. I really and it's it's important to get people this information because we're all looking for sustainable quality relationships. And it can be confusing.
0: It can be confusing and I learned a lot today and you completely exceeded our expectations. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you.
2: So we'll see you guys next Tuesday. Bye, guys. Bye.